Um, hey everybody, what's up? It's B Squared. This is episode three of B Squared and Friends. And today on the podcast, I have a very good friend of mine from middle school and high school, Ashley Graybacks. Ashley is a lawyer in Florida, but I believe that she can practice elsewhere like Washington, D.C., New York, Ohio. No. <laughs> you already got them all three. <laughs> okay. D.C., Florida, and New York. Um, and she's got a really interesting story. Um, I've done some design work for her. This one might not be very design focused. This is kind of, um, I don't know what this is. We're just kind of going to let it roll because Ashley's got a really interesting story. Um, and I think it will resonate with a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, so we'll get, we'll get rocking and rolling. Ashley. Hi, Becky. How's it going? Um, so you're in Florida now. Um, how long have you been there? Since October. So nine months coming up on a year. Okay. Um, where did you get your law degree from? The University of the District of Columbia. So it's basically the equivalent of a state school in DC. DC is not a state, but it's kind of the, the state school there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember, where'd you, where would you do your undergrad at? Hiram College. I, I, yep. I was like, Hiram, she went to Hiram. Um, so you've been practicing law now for how long? It's been a couple years? I've been licensed to practice law since 20, very early 2016. So almost three years now, two and a half, three years. Um, and you weren't always solo. You worked for a law firm for a while, didn't you? I did, I did a clerkship when I was in DC. That was a, a big chunk of my experience. I did that for a year and a half. And I've worked for a couple of smaller law firms um, just since then, yeah. Mm -hmm. So now you're, you're out on your own and you specialize in a certain type of law. So talk to, talk to me about that. Like, what does that entail? My focus, the focus of my firm is basically employment law. People ask me what I do and I like to say I help predominantly women. I help women make more money. Um, so I do a lot of equal pay cases. I help women who um, are getting paid less than their male, male counterparts for doing the same work. I also help um, mostly women, but you know it can happen to men too, um, sexual harassment cases. And I do a variety of other type of discrimination cases. So gender discrimination, race discrimination, age discrimination, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and you didn't just pick that out of the blue, right? No. <laughs> that came from something that happened to you. Um, um, I, I'll, I'll let you talk about that. I, that's a pretty personal thing, but you, there's a, there's a passion that you have for doing this type of focus in your, um, in your practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a woman who's worked my, my entire adult life and most of my, my teenage years as well, I've, I've had some experiences that were just unpleasant and I believe very, very firmly. Most of my clients tend to be females, but I have some male clients as well. I believe very firmly in safe, comfortable, harassment-free work environments. And um, I picked this, this field because I'm very passionate about that. And when I, in particular, right after college, I worked in the defense world. I worked with the Department of Defense as a contractor. And I was young and I was female and I was working with a lot of military men. And I was harassed a lot, but I wanted that paycheck. I didn't, I had just moved to DC. I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to make it. I didn't want to move back to Ohio and I never spoke up. And to me, that it makes me really sad. I didn't feel like I had that option. And I don't, I don't feel like anybody should have to be in that situation. Yeah. Um, so I'm very passionate about this issue, but with that sort of power dynamic, you know, these were, these, these were um, military personnel who knew their word was going to be stronger than mine. I was brand new and I was very young, very low on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that type of dynamic can be very dangerous and anyone can end up in that type of uh, imbalanced power dynamic, males, females, um, you know, anyone can end up in that sort of dynamic. And what I try to do is try to help people um, who are in bad situations like that and kind of help them find solutions. Gotcha. Um, sorry, I have, I want to say that I came with questions and I didn't because the last three hours of work were terrible. Um, so <laughs> you're, you're practicing law. Um, just talk a little bit about the marketing side of law and how, how that happens. Are there rules that go along with it? I'm, I'm sure that there are, especially with confidentiality and client oh. lawyer privileges and all sorts of stuff like that. 
Of course, of course. There's there's a ton of rules regulating this profession. You know, when you said specialize earlier, I was like, oh, that like that's like kind of one of the buzzwords you have to um, you have to avoid saying specialize or expert um, unless you have like particular certifications. So we'll clarify. I don't specialize, and I'm not an expert in employment. That's just the focus of my firm. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of language that we have to be very, um, very, very cognizant of as we um, put together our marketing strategies. And there are rules limiting the ways that we can advertise as well. Mm -hmm. um, there are very, there are stricter rules when it comes to in-person solicitation. Um, so, you know, basically ambulance chasers, they don't want people, and that's not the type of work that I do. So you just have to be very careful when you're, um, with how you're advertising as well as what is actually in your message. Mm -hmm. So that really, it really changes the way you market. But when it comes down to it, what I've found is really just, you know, people talk about branding and all this, but really when you figure out who you are genuinely and what your passion is and like genuinely how you want to help people, that's mm -hmm. how your real actual brand shines through and really just kind of translates into your marketing message. So I found the more that I've gotten like a clear vision on who I wanted to help and how I wanted to help them, that's just helped my marketing come through in such a, in a more organic manner because the one danger of marketing is people don't like being sold to. So the most valuable way that I get clients is just through treating people really well and having them refer me, refer their friends to me. Um, so I get a lot of clients that just come through people saying, look, she wasn't able to help me with my particular situation, but she spent a lot of time with me. She didn't overcharge me. She, you know, mm -hmm. um, she really cared. Um, and so I get a lot of, um, that goes a long way. But, you know, when people Google me, I also want to make sure that I've got an active, vibrant footprint on the internet as well that translates in, into how I, um, how I do the law and how, you know, I, I handle cases and how I handle clients. Mm -hmm. So like the, what I was hearing there is, you know, you want to be, you want to be really authentic. You know, it's not, yeah. you don't want to, for lack of a better term, like you don't want to look like a greasy used car salesman, which when I hear the word lawyer, no offense. Like I think <laughs> of a sleazeball defense lawyer, that's just, you know, like, I don't care if you did it, I'll prove that you're innocent, you know, that, that stuff. And that's not really, that's like a small, very, very small percentage of what, practicing lawyers actually do um but and the reason i say you have to be authentic is i was at a conference last week it was a marketing conference and that was one of the biggest things that resonated with the speakers was when you're on social media and you're you're promoting yourself and you're promoting your brand you want to be as, as authentic as possible you don't want to put this you know quote unquote wall up that's that's not you that's, you know, you're trying to push your product so hard that it's not the, the authentic self. And there's a, a saying by Simon Sinek that says people don't do business with companies, they do business with people. So, yeah. I, you know, with what I've seen you on social media, by the way, Ashley has a YouTube channel and she's very active on Facebook and on LinkedIn and on her website. Um, she does a, a really good job of, you know, creating good content um, around practicing law within what I would say that, you know, the constraints of, of that profession are. Um, but you're absolutely right. You have to promote a brand. Um, you have to promote yourself. You have to make sure that people are comfortable coming to you and not give off that greasy used car salesman vibe. Because I'm sure if you've talked to, like, I'm sure if I've talked to some of my other friends, like you say the word lawyer and some people would be like, be like, mm, I don't know about that. Um, so I, I mean, I think that you do a, a great job with it. And, you know, I 100% agree with kind of how you described how you have to, to market yourself. And it, again, it goes back to your personal brand and what you want people to, you kind of want them to see the real you. Right. And I think, you know, Simon Sinek, he, he has, I think it's the same um, TED Talk, the, the same individual I think I'm thinking of. He, he talks about how you have to figure out your why. Isn't that, isn't that Simon Sinek? I, yeah, Simon Sinek is figure out your why. I don't know if it was the same TED Talk or two separate ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, and it's so true. It's like, why do you do what you do? When you get to that, mm -hmm. I became an entrepreneur almost a year ago on my first venture, which I kind of kind of do on the side. And I, I still, um, I still, you know, the focus has become my law firm, but I'm still um, running the, the bar exam coaching business on the side. Um, you know, I became an entrepreneur almost a year ago. And I I struggled at first because I didn't, 
really have that clear message about my passion just yet. Mm-hmm. And so I see how, how they, you know, um, how organic my social media has come, how I've tied in a lot of my own struggles and my own story into it has really just helped me. Um, and it's helped me gain clients trust and not in a way that I just want their money, but in a way that like they genuinely know I care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of what I do for, for my marketing and I, I don't lead with this, but a lot of attorneys will charge you, you know, several hundred dollars just for an initial consultation. And for me, I don't do that. Number one, because that, and people are immediately going to be skeptical. You got to pay before, you know, that individual has even done anything for you. Like, okay, that's a little much just because you have this degree and you passed the bar exam. Okay. Um, but I, I'm working with vulnerable people who, um, again, their, their guard is just going to come up when I ask for 300 or $400. And so for me, I run the risk of ending up, you know, having a lot of people spending a lot of time on those initial phone calls that might t- not turn into anything, mm-hmm. but because people know I'm not just in it to make a quick buck off of them, they come in with a little bit more trust. Um, and so, you know, that it's, it's like a balance I have to figure out. It's like, I lose a little bit in the beginning stages because I'm attracting more people than, than I would if I had was charging $300, but I feel like more people want to engage with me and continue that conversation and, and have me sign on to their thesis because there's a level of trust there from the start. So you got to figure out those things. You got to figure out your client base and, and, you know, and how to angle that. Yeah. And I think with the, with the people that are coming to you um, for legal advice, they're probably not trusting to begin with. Right. So by you not having that consultation fee, I'm sure that that does leaps and bounds to make them a little bit more comfortable to come to them and share their story with you prior to engaging in legal recourse. Yep. And, and the other part of it is, you know, identifying my client very clearly and knowing what they're going through. I'm working predominantly with um, people who have, you know, it's employment. A lot of these people have just been fired. The last thing they want to do is cough up for, you know, three, $400. Um, if it, it might, if the case, if they might not even have a case. Mm-hmm. Um, so they either don't want to do that or they don't have the money or I'm dealing with people who are at jobs and they're terrified they're going to get fired or they really want to quit. So the, the financial piece of it, I like to meet my clients where they are and then just work with them through the process. And so in the meantime, that means I, you know, I don't have this sort of, I, I have different sort of cash flow challenges than lawyers who charge for consultations. Mm-hmm. But I think in the long run, um, it works for my, for who I am. I, I'm kind of like, I don't want your money yet until I've kind of proven myself a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I predominantly end up working contingent because I also, it, my clients then have a lot of faith in me because they know I've got skin in the game. You know what I mean? If you're paying an attorney hourly, how do you know they're actually working 110% on your case? You don't. And that's part of why attorneys have a bad reputation. I like working contingent um, because- I'm sorry. I don't know what that means. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and other people might not know. No, thank you. Um, Basically, um, I basically I if and when we win, I usually charge about a third. So Mm -hmm. it it depends on the type of case and the amount in question. It's typically around 33 percent is what my fee is. Okay. so there's a lot on the line. It's like if I lose, I don't get paid. Yeah. Is there like an alternate to that? Like if no, and you know what? There are attorneys. I, I talked to a lot of attorneys before I went into this, and I had attorneys say, "Don't ever work like that because you never know, and the you know the awards could be so small." And I've had attorneys who would charge a hybrid. They would basically say, "I'm either hourly or contingent, whichever is greater, or something." Like I was like, "Well, that's just a bad deal." That's like, dumb. And that particular attorney was like complaining he didn't have clients. I'm like, "Well, um, I wonder why because you're trying to hose them out of money, dude." <laughs> Well, and for me, the whole marketing thing is, you know, where is your value? And for me, being able to come to clients and say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to show you my value. Yeah. And that is, I'm going to work really hard on your case and you know, I'm going to be working hard. And if I thought this case was worth $300,000, you know, I would go for it because I would get a bigger, a bigger payout. You know, yeah. if it's only worth, you know, a fraction of that, you know, you know, I'd be going for the bigger number if I thought we could get it because I would be, you know, making, making more too. So there's a trust, a piece of trust there that comes into it. Um, that I like though, it's, it's, it makes clients more comfortable and more open with me. And I think that's really important. That's really important in what I do because you never know what sort of like detail of information a client could reveal that might, you might not never thought was relevant, Mm -hmm. but it might come into play at some point 
um, down the road. So the more clients can, can open up to me too, the better they're, the better I'm going to be able to work on their face. So that's really important to me. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, sorry, the LaCroix is making me burp. <laughs> um, so you started the, you know, you started your solo law firm as an entrepreneur, you know, we talked a little bit about your struggles of kind of like, kind of, kind of figuring out, you know, like your why and you know, what your clients are. What were some of the other struggles that you had as you started to kind of get into this and get your feet really wet? I mean, I would say as an entrepreneur, one thing that's, that really is challenging is, is just time management and managing the overwhelm. I mean, when you first start out, you're, you're registering your LLC, you, there is a huge learning curve and you are, you know, inundated. And that's why a lot of people can't make it. Mm -hmm. um, when you first start out, it's, it's the balance of, okay, if you've got some seed money, where do you throw some money at this problem? Um, and if you don't have the money, it's sweat equity and you're doing, you're doing it yourself. And mm -hmm. so when most of it is sweat equity, which is how I've built both my businesses, um, I'm just a one woman show. It's, it's, it's awesome for me because I have this weird eclectic background that I never knew how I was going to translate into anything. And now that I'm an entrepreneur, I'm like, well, it's pretty cool that I've done some IT work. It's, it's awesome that I'm a writer. I can do all my own content and be really genuine and authentic. So I fortunately have these, these various skill sets that have helped me. Um, I don't do numbers. That is my one thing. I, I, don't, I definitely, um, don't do my own taxes and all that. Um, I, I don't like bookkeeping and all that. But, um, but yeah, time management is tough because it's like you need to be getting out there. You need to be doing the social media. Um, and it can be very overwhelming um, initially. That was definitely a challenge for me. Um, you know, one of the tools that I used that helped me was I had this little chart. And I haven't used it recently. I feel like I could probably get back into it. But I had this, like, little one-pager. Um, and it basically was like you start every morning, spend 10 minutes, three things that you accomplished yesterday, three things that you plan to accomplish today and three things you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. and it's just like a, a quick, easy start to the day, but it's not overwhelming. Getting three things done is not, is not that overwhelming. But then also reflecting on what you got done yesterday is so important because that was my, I would get so overwhelmed that I would, I would see how much further I had to go ahead of me yeah. that I would very seldom stop and just look behind me and be like, wow, I've come really far. Yeah. Um, you can't so you really, yeah, you really have to pat yourself on the back for everything that you have accomplished too. Um, so yeah, keep moving forward, but the overwhelm, it can, it can be a lot and a lot of people can't handle it. Um, so time management is key and just, you know, using other tools, not reinventing the wheel, use, use other tools. I got that tool from, um, someone who started a, a really awesome, um, case management software, uh, that's used, you know, a lot in the legal world called, I think it's called rocket matters or something, but yeah, I mean, that idea came from, from someone else who's an entrepreneur. So so as you, as you went through the journey, I mean, you obviously, were you reaching out to other people to say like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, if you have any advice, um, did you have like a mentor for lack of a better word? Um, <laughs> well, um, I, so this is like kind of a horror story, but a year ago I hired a business coach and it was a woman that I had done some writing work for. So I trusted her and I was like, she's got to be, be good. You know, she's, she has employees and she seems to be doing pretty well. Um, and I hired her and she was terrible. She <laughs> ripped me off. She charged me a lot of money and she didn't help me. And she, I just had just hired her with the, um, with the Bargain business, which is part of why I struggled with that at the outset as well. Um, she overpromised, underdelivered, and basically – she was really out of her swim lane. She was a business coach, but she really didn't know the legal world at all. And so that was a lesson learned the hard way that um, I hadn't vetted her the way that I should have, um, spending that kind of money on that type of service. Mm -hmm. um, I, I eventually, eventually contacted people that she had in her um, on her website. She had these like reviews posted and she listed their full names and I found all these people and they were like, yeah, no, that's not like an accurate description. Of yeah. So I, I, um, it was, it was devastating. It was, it was a really, that was a really, really tough blow. Cause this was a woman I knew for a few years and I trusted her <sighs> and I spent a lot of money on her and I did end up getting the money back because I kind of went lawyer crazy on her, but <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever seen Ashley go lawyer crazy, but it's really, really cool. <laughs> But, um, you know, I learned the hard way. Like the one thing that I learned was and anyone that I'm going to hire, I, 
I, I asked them point blank, can you give me the name of two clients I can call right now and ask about your work? And if, if, they, if they struggle or they stutter, it's like, no, if you are a badass and you are awesome and you are really good at what you do and you can't give me two people's numbers, like I can think of people like you, Becky, like if someone, you know, it's like seven people I could give you, like I, I could give you seven phone numbers and say, yes, call these people and they'll tell you that I'm halfway. Right. And, right. No. And I will tell you, like if, if someone ever called me and said, you know, how is B square designs? Like I would be like, oh my gosh, Becky was awesome. Like she's like, I mean, there are, there are people that I have hired that I have vetted. Um, that I've been been more careful about. But if you can't, yeah, if you can't give me two names off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too that people don't realize, it's just really important is um, every state, pretty much every state has like a business database. Like, so just search like Florida business search or whatever. Um, in Florida, it's called sunbiz.org. And you go there and you can look up someone's business entity. If someone is trying to get your money and they're putting themselves out as doing business under a particular name or whatever, and they don't have an, an, an actual entity set up, that's a huge red flag. That is a huge red flag. Like they're just themselves. Like that's not like they're basically they might, they might still be, yeah, they might still be legitimate, but they haven't taken some really important steps to actually like forming like a real business, even if it's just them. Yeah. Like that's a big red flag because then they're probably not licensed then, you know, because you, you know, there's just a lot of things that you could with the internet. There's so much you can do better, better business bureau. Um, I put so much faith in this woman. I did not research her the way that I should have. So on the flip side, I will say that um, what did work for me as far as like seeing, um, you know, using the models of other people, I read a ton of books. Oh my gosh. I read so many books. I literally, all I can read now is Harry Potter because I read so many like nonfiction, like self-help books for so long. My brain is like, no more, no more. So I'm like on a self-help break, but it was, it was stuff that wasn't just about being an entrepreneur. It was a lot of stuff about self-improvement. So some of my favorites are You Are a Badass. Oh, that's um, so good. I you love Are a Badass book. at Making Money. There were a lot of things that I had to, you know, a lot of issues of my own about, like, hang-ups about money I had to get over. Um, what are some of the good ones? Um, the Science of Getting Rich is really good. Um, the Science of Getting Rich. Um, Think and Grow Rich is really good. Like, there are some old that. classics that like are a hundred years old, but the same concepts still kind of apply. Yeah. And there's just a lot of, I, I found that the more I, I dove into this world, mm -hmm. I was coming back to a lot of these same foundational resources that really helped a lot of other entrepreneurs with a lot of similar concepts, like make decisions like swiftly, but change them slowly. Like a lot of like core concepts that just really helped. So it was books. Um, I joined a women's group called Elevate and they're, they're nationwide and I joined this thing called a squad where it was basically like this monthly meeting, like a webinar like this, like four or five women just like bouncing ideas off of each other. And it wasn't all entrepreneurs. It was women in all different fields. Um, it got really great ideas from them. Um, just really tapped into any resources I could find. So it's like, again, it's sweat equity. It's like, if you can't, you know, if you don't have the, high, the money to pay someone after that, I was really, I, I, I have very mixed feelings about this whole coaching world in general. Yeah. But after that, I was really, wary to hire another quote unquote coach. Yeah. So I really just tapped into as many affordable resources as I could. A lot of, in the legal field, we have CLEs. We have a CLE requirement. So that was like two birds, one stone. I watched all these CLEs on how to build a law firm, how to manage your time, how to do this, how to do that. Um, that was, I, I literally now am like 15 CLEs over what I need for like the next two year cycle because of that. But oh, there you go. Um, but yeah, so just tapping into a lot of different resources and just learning from people who have, um, who are further along than me has been yeah. imperative, like necessary, absolutely necessary. Yeah. And I would say I've, I've had, I had the same experience when I kind of started to do this. Um, by the way, like they don't teach you in school, like how to start an LLC and how to do all that crap. So I'm like, I'll figure this out. It's fine. It's totally cool. You know, that 12 years. Catholic school education really, really <laughs> served me well. Well, all the art classes did at least. <laughs> Everything else was worthless. Um, but no, like I had to, you know, you have to figure out, okay, I, all right, I need to start my LLC. And then like, I go to the bank and I set up, like, I want to set up a bank account. And they're like, well, you need a federal ID number. I'm like, what, what is that? What is that? Um, <laughs> so it was just like, the learning curve was kind of steep. And, you know, like, I, my entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey was is just a little bit different than yours because I still have a, a, a big kid job. 
Um, but you know, the same struggle still applied. Like I want to grow my business. I want to make sure that the product I'm putting out there, um, is valuable to people. I want to be authentic. I, I want to make sure what I'm doing is the right thing. I'm, I'm trying to, to do the right thing with clients and show good faith and show a little trust. And then the recent few past that's burnt me a little bit. Um, right. So like that, that's a struggle. And you know, like the one thing I see a lot is people, you know, like just cause we're small businesses doesn't mean that you can take advantage of us. Like, right. like, Oh, you can give it to me on a favor. No, yeah. no, I can't. Yeah. There are very few people I will give favors to. Most of them are family, but you know, for the most part, it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. Yes. This isn't my full time method of income, but that doesn't, that shouldn't belittle right. it or that shouldn't make it any lesser than what it is. Right. And, and, and devaluing when you, when you allow others to devalue you, you devalue yourself. Absolutely. And there's that, listen, there's that catch 22. Cause it's like, for me bringing on clients when basically they haven't paid me anything yet. Like I know I run the risk of having clients waste my time. And so that's like a boundary. That's a, a boundary that I have to set too. Mm-hmm. And also, um, you know, make sure I'm not devaluing myself by like giving work away for free. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough balance. It's, it is. It's like, um, but you're right. I, I feel like as small businesses, there are a lot of people, potential customers, um, as well as vendors that I feel like really just, um, kind of prey on small businesses. Um, you know, I had that business coach who kind of burnt me and I had one other vendor, um, that I hired to do some accounting work. Mm-hmm. and they didn't do anything and I paid them a lot of money and I had to get my money back from that too and it was like you know it, same concept they kind of preyed on me because they knew I was just just started out really naive small beans so you kind of live and learn you kind of have to learn some of those lessons the hard way mm-hmm. the thing about being an entrepreneur that um, I guess I had been warned about but I hadn't fully grasped like what it would be like going through is like you got to just get okay with falling in space over and over and over and over and over, totally cool with it. And over. you just got to get used to it. I, I wrote my address wrong on like a demand letter the other day. And I was like, well, that's really crappy because like <laughs> if they reply, it's not going to get to me. Yeah. And so, I mean, and it's not funny. Like I had to correct the issue and make sure, and I had to just come right out and say, I'm really sorry. I typed it wrong. Like I don't, I, I wouldn't blame it on another employee anyway, but I don't have yeah. like my fingers slipped and like it's it the is DM cat it, typed so it wrong for me. Right, right. Like it's just it is what it is. You're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna fall on your face and all you know, all you so I went back and I was like, Okay, I'm gonna make sure all of my templates are right. That's all I can do is um fix that. You know, my first business, I, I got everything set up and I was like, Why isn't anybody like wanting to buy my product? And and it was frustrating and it, and it kind of like hurts. So you take it a little bit personally. Like I hate, I keep thinking of this phrase recently where people are, are always like, well, don't take it personal. It's like nothing's ever separate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like really, it's, it's really just not like this woman who didn't pay you. It's probably like, well, this is just a business decision. Like that's just not, no. like, you're not a nice person. If you go around like not paying people after you've asked them to do work for you, that's just not, it's not separate. That is, it, it forms who you are. I feel like we're in this age with the internet where it's like you used to be able to be a totally different person in the business world than you were in the personal and your personal life. Yeah. And it's like, that's just not the case anymore. If you're going to be, you know, and this is an extreme example, but you've got, you know, if you're a member of the KKK and your face gets, gets caught, captured on a video and it goes viral on YouTube and your company fires you, like, tough luck, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like what you do in your personal life is really going to be following you. And so the decisions you make in, in your professional life are, it's just all going to come together. Um, that reminds me, I need to go delete some pictures off of Facebook from college. <laughs> that's actually, I've, I've been studying a little bit on running for office, which is something I might like do at some point in the future. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm just kind of like brushing up. But one of the things that they said to do now is like do a social media first. I mean, I don't have any bad ones, but I'm just like, oh man, like, thank God that what, like Facebook came out when we were like just finishing undergrad. Right. Could you imagine high school? Oh my good God. Becky, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, we did some stuff. We did we some did, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we were stupid, stupid kids. I know. You know what? Facebook came out 
like it was like my senior year. Yeah. It was like our senior year of, of college. Yeah. So we got lucky. We we kind of skipped out on a lot of the rough years. But um, but I mean, in in some ways, it's good too because we're gonna get to a point that like there's gonna be naked pictures of everybody out there at some point because everybody, you know what I mean? Like everybody was a stupid teenager at some point and like took that stupid selfie. Like it's gonna get to the point where it's like, you know, you just you just own. If you screw up, you own it. Yeah. Like that's a big that's a big thing. Yeah. It's a big thing with being an entrepreneur too because owning it. If you're an entrepreneur and you can't own when you screw up, you're never gonna move forward. And you're never going to make it as an entrepreneur. If you can't say, when I started my bargain business and I was like, why isn't this working? I'm brilliant. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I had just sat there crying, yeah. I would have never gotten it to the point that I have gotten it, which is, you know, a lot, a lot further along than it was a year ago. Mm -hmm. I just sit there and very honestly say to myself, like, okay, this strategy I thought was going to work isn't working and that's okay. I'm learning. I know what doesn't work now. I have more information yeah. and I need to try a different approach. Um, and so, you know, you got to figure, you got to, gotta own it because it's like sitting there and saying that like looking at the irrefutable proof and saying that's not there it's like not helping anyone no it's like you gotta you gotta throw a bunch of shit on the wall and see what sticks right right and you know it's a lot of trial and error it's a lot of testing yeah. it, you know it's not like it's not pretty. Everyone's like, oh, like entrepreneurial life is so, no, it is it's not. It, it is ugly. It is so <laughs> ugly. And like, I call myself a baby entrepreneur just because I haven't like completely, you know, like I, I still have the corporate job that supports, you know, yeah. to support this, but like still in the, you know, in the couple of weeks, I've kind of rededicated myself to, to growing this business. It's just like, you know, it's making sure that the priorities of networking following up with people of being constant on social media like you know like that's all that's all stuff that like sucks your time right yep and that's the thing so then it comes back to that overwhelm and time management where is your time best allocated and your resources if you've got money to, to put into the business where is that best allocated um absolutely absolutely it's 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 a messy life it's a messy world and um, you know, one of the, my favorite things that Jen Sincero says, well, she's the author of, I mean, you know, but, mm -hmm. um, she's the author of, um, you are a badass. The one thing that she says is a plane uses most of its fuel during takeoff. You just have to just keep remembering that. Like when it gets hard and you're like, why am I poor? Why can't I make ends meet? Like, why isn't this working? Like you gotta just, you gotta keep going and just, just change up your approach, figure out what's not working. Mm -hmm. Um, but just remember like the beginning stages are the hardest because a lot of times you're, you, you have to fund it. You have to fund it with time and or money. You have to have resources. And so you're kind of working like quadruple time, like at that point, whether it's a hundred percent in your business or you're, you're working at something else, like mm -hmm. it's just, you have to, you have to dedicate time to it regardless. Um, yeah. and yeah, plain music most is still during takeoff. So the beginning stages are definitely, definitely the toughest and the people that you know have lasting success are the ones that get through that really ugly messy time <laughs> yeah. yeah and come out the other side so yeah I don't think you could talk to any entrepreneur and not have them tell you like the beginnings was ugly and if they are they're either incredibly lucky or they're lying to you one of the two right um there's a wonderful wonderful podcast from um NPR and it's called How I Built This. Have you ever listened to it? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, Becky, you have to you you have to check I'm it out. I'm on the podcast now, so I'm gonna have to listen to that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, How I Built This. That podcast got me through some of my really really tough times. Um, it is basically people who have run, founded astronomically successful companies and how they got their start. Um, one of my favorite ones. So it's like Whole Foods. It's Five Hour Energy. It's like Lyft, and I think they did like Uber too like all these like massively successful companies rent the runway. My favorite one though is, um, Spanx. <laughs> so Sarah Blakely is, I, I believe the youngest self-made female billionaire on the planet. I think I saw something about her. Becky, so you're talking about having your big girl job and like yeah. really just put, just pushing the pedal to the metal. She built that company grassroots working in Florida as a door-to-door fax saleswoman, a door-to-door fax saleswoman, literally grassroots built this company. She is still the sole owner of a billion dollar brand. 
Good grief. Because she built it grassroots. She didn't go out and get venture capitalists. She didn't scale it. Mm-hmm. She literally, like, had the idea and just, like, literally kept, like, pounding people until they listened to her and until they made their product. She, like, went up to North Carolina and, like, got a manufacturer to actually make her product because she begged him, like, and, like, showed up at his doorstep like 20 times and he just had a lot of daughters and they told him to do it. And then like set a pair to Oprah and like literally like took her, like once she got the product like produced, like she had a manufacturer, she like bullied all these stores into carrying it. And then actually (laughs) physically went to the stores and like set up her product around the store without permission, like bought like little like stands Uh and like put like her spanks like at the cash register. Like literally this woman grassroots, She's like, she's, she's an incredible story, but those first few years, I mean, she was peddling fax machines. Oh the door. Hey man, you gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, one of the very first, I believe the second Whole Foods store that they opened flooded 90 days after they opened it and completely obliterated all their, all their inventory and they had no insurance. I mean, it's like you hear these horror stories. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful podcast and it's like not one of them has made it to where they are without falling on their faces a lot. The more you can get comfortable with failure, I mean, the easier your life is going to be as much better. Yeah, for real. Um, so we talked about the entrepreneurial struggle. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about your social media strategy. Cause I know you've got, you do a lot of um, video blogs, which I think are awesome. And you push those out to YouTube and to Facebook. You also have an Instagram too, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what was like, what's your, what's your strategy on those platforms and are, are they different for each one? Yeah. I mean, it's a little different for each one. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, basically being able to kind of repurpose, repurpose certain items um, is important. LinkedIn, I try to, you know, I try to keep that a little bit more, a little bit more professional. Um, guys use it as a dating site. I know. Yeah. Have you been hit on, on LinkedIn? Too? Been hit on I... Facebook, or on LinkedIn, but the other thing I've noticed, I'm going to go off on a rant here. People, LinkedIn is not Facebook. I do not want to see pictures of your family. I want to see. <laughs> stuff. Okay. Right. Right. Like I don't understand. And it's, it's the oldsters. Sorry. Yep. I'm a little bit discriminatory, but again, LinkedIn is not Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And so I try to, you know, I keep that a little bit more on the professional side. Um, you know, as far as content, I just, you know, I've had this whole other, I've had my own personal legal struggle that this whole year. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was just a natural kind of thing. I, I very accidentally kind of got this following um, because I started posting about that. And so it very naturally has tied into my legal marketing. And I feel like I am able to, because I've been through this personal struggle in this legal world that has very much changed my, my opinion, how I think about you know, the court system and our legal system, mm-hmm. um, it has helped me be able to connect the clients better and to help them better. And they see that through the social media because there are clients that I tell, you know, that I have to say, like, this is how our court system is supposed to function. It doesn't always function that way. And I'm not sure if the court system will be able to help you. Um, And so, so anyway, them being able, my potential clients being able to kind of see like, wow, she's been through it too. There's not a single old white male attorney who is practicing, who can, you know, say they've been through the hell that I've been through. And so they're not going to be able to relate to a client the way that I can, you know, and I have that to my advantage and, and I, and I use it and I say that not in like a, in a slimy way, but in a way that, like I said, when I got this sort of natural following, when I started posting about my own personal case, I started making that just writing updates about that. I started making that kind of the focus of my um, social media platform and then in, in my strategy, my message, and then pulling in the employment stuff um, from that. So you know, on LinkedIn, I, I post, you know, more of like the professional stuff. Um, I, what I love to do on Instagram, it's very, you know, very different is um, I love making graphics mm-hmm. of quotes from like really like just really empowered women, a lot of congresswomen, a lot of female lawyers, things like that. And just kind of, I don't do, you know, I'm not as talented as you, but I use like little programs. I make little graphics, mm-hmm. um, just sort of like lighthearted, empowering stuff. Um, what I try to do is gear it towards, um, 
really just anyone, not necessarily um, a particular client base, but stuff that like anyone can kind of appreciate and enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, and then I kind of shifted around and changed it for each platform. Um, and, you know, Twitter, I have to kind of like, you know, you have to reduce, reduce the word count a little bit. Um, yeah, so it's something, it's something that I enjoy as a writer. Um, so it comes a little bit more naturally to me. I don't, I've never been one of those people who sits down on Sunday and plans out a whole week. I have certain goals, like, okay, I want to post, like, at least, you know, at least three times this week, and I'll try to meet that goal, at least two videos this week, um, so I kind of have, like, higher, you know, higher level goals that I set for myself, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I'll, you know, write down, like, actually, you know, sit down and make out a list, um, but, but yeah, it's, my, my strategy hasn't been, um, the more organic it's become, I felt like the less I need to actually, like, plan and map it out, I just kind of do it as it comes along, and, and yeah. so, and you do a good, you do a good job of telling the story, but not really, not really pushing your services. And that's yeah. that's a really good marker of good content marketing is when you're, you know, you're telling a story and you're sharing an experience that might be a pain point for someone else. That makes you what we like to call a thought leader, and it makes it it does exactly what you said it's done. It gives you a connection, you know. Right some someone that's maybe have has been harassed in, in the workplace and wants to take legal recourse sees that okay i've ashley is having you know she has experience in this not only professionally but personally and you know she gets it she's going to understand what i'm telling her and she's going to be able to tell me um you know what's how it's going to play out and i also like that you don't really sugarcoat the legal system and I must like live under a rock. I've never really like had any need for the legal system yet. Like I've never been arrested or sued anyone. Um, so hearing you kind of like tell the story of what has gone on in the courtroom, like makes me really sad. Um, but it also makes me really mad. It's like, why, why do we think that this is okay? And like, why is like nobody like talking about this? Because right. I, feel, like, I feel like, if people think the legal system's broken, which it obviously is based on what you said, I'm like, that's like stupid. Yeah. And, and listen, as a lawyer, I got into this profession having a lot more faith in the system, knowing it wasn't perfect, but having belief and faith in the system that it worked mostly the way it was intended to. And it's been really eye-opening to see how behind the times that the system really is. Um, it's been really eye-opening and devastating for me. And for me, the only way I can get through that and not just throw, up, throw my hands in the air and say, F this, is being like, I feel like it's, it's become my job to make things better. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's my calling and it's my obligation now because I can't unsee it and I can't pretend like this stuff isn't going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a risk. I, um, you know, I have attorney friends who will message me and be like, you shouldn't post stuff like what you just posted. And I'm like, I really appreciate, I don't take it offensively. I thank them. Um, I always say, you know, thank you. I really appreciate it, but I'm very aware of the risk that I'm taking. Mm -hmm. um, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, we've had this system for decades where it's like, okay, um, you know, we're going to charge people who have, you know, particular problems and they need solutions. And not all lawyers are bad lawyers, but you know, the system doesn't always want, you know, work, but we're regulated by the bar and we're not supposed to talk about it and this and that. And it's like, I don't say anything that's not true. Um, but I, I don't, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to give the a court the benefit of the doubt when I have very egregiously been discriminated against during, a, you know, during a hearing, um, when I'm effectively prevented from being able to do my job, um, because the court isn't operating the way that it's supposed to in a fair and neutral manner, I'm just not going to stay silent about that. And yeah, it's a risk because I'm in a regulated profession. So what they, you know, they can potentially do is say, Hey, we're taking your bar license, but guess what? That's the next chapter of my book. If that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I've been vocal and I am taking a risk doing that. And I'm aware of that risk. Um, but I'm glad that I'm reaching people and I'm glad that I'm increasing awareness and I'm glad that, you know, you're, you're not a prospective client at all, but I'm glad that like, even, you know, people like you are, um, fired up by it and they're interested in the story and are following along. Um, I, it makes me really happy. I'm glad that people are, someone's out there listening. Um, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you put out social media and you're like, I don't know if anybody even really sees this crap, but whatever. And yeah. 
Um, sometimes it's a hit and sometimes it's a miss and it is what it is. But, you know, the more genuine stuff that you're putting out there, um, the more likely you're going to have some sort of, you know, connection and some sort of like response. So, yeah. Okay. There we go. Um, and kind of what you were saying with, you know, people telling you like, Hey, you shouldn't be posting this. I would imagine it would, it was like the same thing for the, the group of actresses that came out against Harvey Weinstein. How many, yep. how long does that go on before finally one of them was like, you know what? No, no amount of money, no job is worth what I have to put up with. And I was, when this started coming out, I was just like, it's 2018. Why is this shit still going on? Bill Cosby? Yeah. I mean, yeah, because money is power. I mean, what I've, what's been really eye-opening to me about with, with all of this is these power dynamics and the power dynamics that are what are, what are really, really dangerous in our society. Um, you know, the legal field has been traditionally very old white male. And so we're talking about, you got to be rich to, traditionally you had to be rich to even get into the profession because talking about a lot of money for law school, a lot of time off work to study and pass the bar exam. You know, not a lot of women in the field, not a lot of minorities. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of your problems will be solved. There are just, there's always just been a huge segment of our population who have not had access to legal resources. Yeah. And money is power. And when you have these power imbalances and where people are, are ticked in society right now, there is such, there is this, this, widening gap between the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich mm-hmm. and people are mad about that and it's going to be shifting because what we have are you know these power dynamic and in, in, dynamics in workplaces that are really dangerous the fact that an employee so desperately needs their job because people are getting paid such crap these days mm-hmm. is employees are so desperate for work that they're not going to talk up speak up against an employer you know what I mean? That's a dangerous power dynamic. And I, it, I feel like it's my job to make sure that when there are screwed up things happening to lower level employees, I'm going to be there and help them and be like, no, this is not okay that you're being treated like this. And they're like, but I need the paycheck. And I'm like, yeah, but it's illegal if they fire you. So we're going to risk that they're going to fire you, but we're going to sue their asses because yeah. that power dynamic is not okay. I feel like a big, a big chunk, a big part of that really dangerous power dynamic that got really big in the employment world happened um, with the recession. Mm-hmm. People became so desperate for jobs that they're like, I'll tolerate anything. Yeah. And then it's just kind of stuck. Employers have had so much power. They're not putting money into sexual harassment training. They're not putting money into diversity training. Things have gone to hell in a handbasket in a lot of our workplaces and not everywhere, but in enough that people are miserable at work and bad people are getting away with murder and, um, and it's illegal stuff. And so you know, these power dynamics in our society are what are really, really dangerous. When the, when the rich keep getting richer and more powerful and they're just sucking the power away from people, you know, at the bottom, it's like, I feel like it's my calling to kind of help balance that out a little bit because um, it can be too dangerous. It's really dangerous. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're basically, you're playing with your livelihood at that point. Yes. Um, and I can see like, that's, that's super scary. If, if I was in that situation and, and you right. know, okay, well, I have a, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid. I'm, I'm making a decent living. You know, why would I want to rock the boat? And yep. I, think that, I think that the more, the more the people rock the boat, I think the more people will see that like we, we live in a society that needs an attitude adjustment for, you know, lack, like y'all just, y'all need Jesus and you just need to get along. My God. Like I see the stuff like people, people will hide behind a computer screen and just absolutely destroy right. someone on social media. And I'm just like, what? Yeah. Your mother did not raise you like that. And right. They probably wouldn't say that to their face. Right. But it's okay to do it on social media. Yeah. It's awful. It's awful. And, and there's, there's just a lot of stuff that goes on in our workplaces that shouldn't, but, but yeah, it's your livelihood. When it's your livelihood, you just, you tolerate it. But I think that there's a shift that's happening where it's like, you know, our parents' generation, you could have one parent working 40 hours a week and that was fine to support the family and live a pretty modest life. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, we've got middle-class families who, you know, both parents are working 60 hours a week and they can't make ends meet. People are getting ticked and they're just, they're sick. They're sick and tired of it. And they want, they want more time with their families. They don't want to be run ragged. And it's affecting, I feel like that dynamic, people are exhausted. They're having to work more than ever, Mm -hmm. longer hours, do more for less pay and they're exhausted and it's bringing out the nasty in people. People don't have quality of life. 
And I feel like the way that it's going, there's going to be an uprising. People are just going to be like, you know what? I'd rather be broke and on welfare and on the streets mm-hmm. than be working, you know, 60 hours a week anymore. When you've got, um, you know, Jeff, what's his name? The, the founder of Amazon. I saw this meme online the other day and I don't even know if it's true. So whatever, but it's like, you know, if Amazon's going to be the first billion dollar company and there are Amazon employees like on welfare, there was an article about like Amazon employees in Scotland, like living in, in like encampments because they work so many hours, they can't afford to like get home and actually sleep in a bed. So they're like camping out outside. It's like that disparity is so gross to me. I feel like there's going to be a shift. People do yeah. not have, I feel like there's going to be a lot more entrepreneurs because entrepreneurship is hard. But what is harder is working for these crappy employers who are treating them like dirt. Yeah. So I feel like there's going to be an uprising of entrepreneurs and there are going to be the companies that get it that are on the leading edge of giving people quality of life and treating them well are going to be the ones that forecast everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I see that in the near future and I'm hopeful for that as an employment lawyer. Um, but I want to make our workplaces healthier because I feel like a lot of this nasty stuff that goes on in our society in general is because we we work too much and we don't have quality of life. We don't have enough time with our families. We don't have enough time to have fun and just chill. Yeah. And um, I, I would say the, the job I worked at, you know, before my, my current job, it, it was a not nice place to work because you, I mean, people, people were putting in 50, 60, 70 hours a week. You know, you would leave. I remember, you know, I was, I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be working from eight to five. Like I would go in, I'd start at seven thirty, eight o'clock. I'd, I'd leave at five. Like I had stuff to do after work. Yes. I wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to go golf. I wanted to go wakeboard. I remember my boss came into my office one day and he's like, Hey, um, do you think you could start maybe staying until like five thirty? Because you know, this one vice president walks through our area and he sees that nobody's here. And he like, you know, he starts, um, he starts saying something to the other vice presidents. I looked at him and I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I worked what? hours. You were requiring me to be here for eight hours, so I will be. No, yeah. If I've got something to do that might be no. deadline driven, I will stay. No big deal. But right. I'm not just sitting at my just desk. Just sit and right. And I'm telling you, I'm really passionate about making our workplaces healthier because I spent a number of years when I was working for the jerk who ripped me off, but then gave me my money back. When I wrote for her, she was a career coach, and I wrote a lot about workplaces, and I did a lot of research and studying in this area. And number one, our brains are not wired to actually be able to focus on anything and do it well for eight hours consecutively. We're just not. So those hours, no matter how much employers want to think they're getting the most out of their employees, they're only getting a a few quality good hours out of their employees each day. And so, I mean, that's just the reality in, in, you know, in my mind, if so, there's just so much research that our work weeks are arbitrary and that we are just becoming increasingly unhealthy um, because of how bad our, our work lives are. Mm-hmm. Like the 40 hour work week was created, um, by Francis Perkins during the FDR administration. Do you know how much has happened since FDR was president? I'm gonna a lot. That was like the thirties. Right. And she created the 40 hour work week to actually protect children and employees from being exploited and from working too many hours in factories. Yeah. Right. So technology has changed so much. We, we mostly work in office now. We don't work in factories. So the 40-hour work week is completely arbitrary. I firmly believe that if you hire bright young employees and, you know, have them work fewer hours and give them flexibility and give them options, you're going to get more out of them. Oh, absolutely. And you're going to get more out of them and you're going to be spending less to retain employees. Um, so, you know, you have more loyalty. You're not going to be spending time trying to constantly find new talent. It's, to me, it's a no-brainer. And I really think there's going to be this shift that people are going to be ticked. Yeah. When you start paying people a livable wage and making them work maybe 30 hours a week, you're going to get, you're going to get so much out of them, you're not going to be able to stop their work activity. You know yeah, what I mean? And that's the thing. Like, with, with working at BEC, I mean, I tell people, I'm like, I got handed the keys to a Ferrari and told not to wreck it. You know? I love it. He's like, I am not going to tell you how to do your job because number one, I don't know how to do your job. He's a business development guy. I'm a marketer. It's totally, it works. But he goes, you know, I, I trust you to get your work done. Now, when you're not going to get your, when you're not getting your work done, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of an issue. But until that day comes and he goes, it won't. He goes, I'm going to let you do your thing. He goes, if you need to leave for a few hours to take care of something, go take care of it. You know? And, And that's like the, that is one of the best things about, about working for them is yeah. the, I'm not, to a desk. yeah, I'm not, ta- I'm not taped to a desk. If I need to get up and leave, 
I can get up and leave. Nobody's checking and seeing when, when we walk in the door. That was another thing. They used to check and see if you were late or on time and they'd have like a quarterly report. Oh, the stories I could tell you. <laughs> it's really demeaning as an adult to have Absolutely. to be like that. I had a job once um, when I was in the government contracting world. It was this weird world where like I work very fast and efficiently. And so I was almost like penalized for that. They're, they're like, we build the government hourly. You realize that, right? Like slow down because you're making everyone else look bad. Huh. If they know we can get this done in a fraction of the time, you're going to cut into our bottom line here, lady. So I was always like, I always butted up. I always butted heads through them because I'm like, I don't have enough work. I'm bored out of my damn mind. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, peace. So I would leave at like three because I'm like, screw this. I'm not sitting here. I'm like, yeah. you've got no work for me. And, and it became like an issue. But then I also, I did a little bit of customer support and I had clients who were all over the country. So I'm like, I'm leaving because if I have to work an hour tonight because of someone in Hawaii calls me, mm -hmm. like I'll work that hour tonight. Like it all comes out in the wash, whatever. I'm like, and, and there were so many people who had problems with that. And, I, and I've traveled a lot for my job as well. But the fact that I wasn't chained to the desk, they actually like came in and were like, well, these are your core hours that you have to be sitting there. And I'm like, okay, well, what about when I'm required to have a two hour teleconference on like a random Wednesday night? And well, like, that's just like on top of it. Like, no, I'm not sitting at a desk, at, you know, pretending like I'm working and charging the government all these hours. It's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. That sort of micromanaging, again, it's our, our workplaces are so unhealthy and that sort of oversight. It's like, if people are getting their job done, why ride them like that? It's awful. Yeah. It's terrible. And then what I see a lot in my job is a lot of really terrible middle management who are just on power trips. Oh yeah. Really terrible middle management. to the point that like they're doing illegal stuff, but they've been doing it for so long and getting away with it that like, there's so much, there are so many potential clients out there, like so many potential clients in my, in my world because they're just crappy middle management who've gotten away with murder for so long. And because the first time one employee speaks up, they end up just getting reprimanded and fired and everyone looks around. They're like, well, that's not going to happen to me. And so everyone stays silent. These middle managers have had so much power for so long, um, but it's shifting now. It's shifting now. I, I get calls. Um, I get all kinds of random calls, but I got a call a couple weeks ago. A guy was like, um, hey, I may, I'm, a, I'm a manager at a kitchen. I made some gay slurs at work and I got fired. I need, I need to help me get my job back. And I was like, I don't do that sort of work. Click. Like, yeah, sorry, dude. You know, this guy has probably been making, why would you make a gay slur at work? Because you've been able to do it for decades and no one was, and no one was, Me Too is empowering. I'm, I'm a big supporter of Me Too and I also understand that there are ways that any, any big movement like that has unintended consequences or can be overreaching. But I really feel like it has empowered a lot of people, like these poor homosexual people who had a homophobic boss. It has empowered people like that to speak up to the owner and say, look, this is not okay. It's yeah. empowered a lot of people who have felt powerless before, males and females both. And so there is so much good and there's so much positivity that's going to come out of that mm -hmm. um, that I, I feel I'm very hopeful for our, for our workforce. But um, I know I'm, I'm doing my, my part of what I can. But. Yeah, no, and I think it just takes a bunch of other people to do the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, eventually we'll – we'll get it changed. Cause I mean, you know, it's, it's really, it's at this point, it's up to the people our age to kind of, you know, stand yep. up and say like, this isn't cool. And like, I think we were raised a little bit differently. Um, you know, just to play nice in the sandbox with everybody. Um, and that's not necessarily the case with maybe some of the older generation. So, you know, by, by, by standing up and saying like, Hey, this, this isn't cool. And like, this is, this isn't how we, we should act. Um, I, I think that, you know, we can be, be helpful for the future. It's just, you know, just trying to get some of these old curmudgeons out the door. But I got a question. Do you have a shrine to Ruth Bader Ginsburg in your apartment? Anywhere? Like, I want to see that movie though. Cause it looks really sweet. Oh my gosh. I don't have a shrine for her. I do have a bit of a Wonder Woman shrine. That's okay. I love Gal Gadot. Um, yeah, I do have a little bit of a Wonder Woman shrine. No, not one for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But, I mean, she's like, she has, she's made an appearance of it. I've got like her, um, like a book of hers and, and some other stuff. I really should. I have a shirt of hers. I should make a little try. I just like, I want to give her a hug. She reminds me of my grandmother. She, what is she like three foot two? And that's oh my gosh. She's amazing. Ruth, if you ever hear this, I apologize, but you are the sweetest thing ever. Oh my gosh. She's so cute. She, um, that movie is amazing. You're, you'll, is you'll find it really. Yeah. 
she's she's a powerhouse. She's a powerhouse. You know, she was like one of like two women who went to Yale Law or something. I mean, she just kind of just there are times like there are things that I've done in my career that I'm kind of like looking around like, okay, has someone done this before? Yeah. Just me, just me. Okay. Because it's kind of scary when you're like kind of leading a charge and being vocal about something mm-hmm. and you're kind of looking around and you're like, there aren't as many people around me anymore. Mm-hmm. It can be a little scary, but you know, I fortunately have had um, one of the things that has helped me as a female lawyer is I found this Facebook group that's predominantly it's about 5,000 women and they screen everyone and that you either have to be, you have to be a female and you have to be a lawyer and you have to be either a solo practitioner or a small law firm owner. So it's geared around the business of our, of our field. Um, and they have helped me tremendously. Like I'll post and be like, this happened in hearing, what can I do? And they're like, just qualify the judge. And like the fact that there are other women, I don't even know these women, but the fact that there's a woman who's like, I'm going to send you a sample motion uh-huh. and I can like use that motion and, and know that like, okay, another woman's had to do this. Like, it's not just me. Yeah. That gives me a little bit of courage to kind of like, like be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It's scary trying to like disqualify a judge, but like, I'm going to do it. There's another woman who's done it. Mm-hmm. But for a woman like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I mean, she was just doing crap and she didn't care that she was the first woman that's yeah. done it. Yeah, she was just going for it. And um, yeah, I mean, she had, she had an amazing, uh, you know, an amazing husband from very early on who very much empowered and encouraged her, which I think, you, you know, as, as female focused as my message is, mm-hmm. um, you know, we all need to be in this together and I never mean to alienate men. And that's, I know part of, as far as my social media strategy and all that, I know that that is part of something I want to, to start, you know, kind of including. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, the more that we can get people on board with like where we want to go in society, it, you know, it can't just be all female. Like yeah. it's gotta be all of us. It's gotta be all of us supporting and empowering each other. If she hadn't had that really strong source of inspiration behind her telling her, Go, go argue before the Supreme Court. Like, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's a strong-ass man to be able to, to be willing to kind of stand on the sidelines and let her shine. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's got a great story. I'm really excited to watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. All right. So where can people find you, follow you on all of the things? On all of the things. Yeah. So um, I have – my website is craypaxlaw.com, K-R-A-P-A-C-S law.com you know all my buttons for my social media and all that are um, on the website I've got a blog um, I've got the video the you know the video blog on YouTube um, yeah basically everything's all in my name on Twitter um, Twitter and Instagram my handle is no I do not yield and that came from um, I think it was Maxine Waters who is this amazing yeah. congresswoman who was told to yield in the middle of a congressional hearing and she was like no I do not yield and she just kept you know repeating no I do not yield and I thought that was really inspiring and really really badass to just say to an old white man with a gavel telling you to shut up no I do not yield um, so yeah that's my handle on Twitter um, and Instagram um, yeah everything's everything's on the website and basically in my name so follow me reach out um, you know I'm, I'm barred in Florida, D.C., in New York, but I'm reaching out to, you know, I have contacts in all different states. Um, basically, I say if someone reaches out to me for help, um, you know, I can't always answer the phones. I definitely leave a message, but I never leave anyone empty-handed. If they need problems with, um, like, an issue in another state, I find an attorney. If I don't know one personally, I find one, um, you know, reach out on the Internet, and, you know, I, I connect them with someone who can help them. Um, no one leaves empty-handed the homophobe. <laughs> yeah, <don't know. laughs> he didn't get anything. No, um, we had time for that. But yeah, yeah, I'm, and I'm happy. You know, I have people just call me and be like, hey, you know, what should I do in this situation? And it's like I can't always give legal advice in every state, but I can, you know, I can point people in the right direction and just give them an idea if it's worth, you know, um, scoping out an attorney. So, yeah. Um, Thanks for having me on, Becky. This is awesome. Yeah, no, this was really fun. Um, yeah. It was like not the normal podcast, but I think you brought a lot of good information. And um, through all of your posting on social media, you've definitely kind of brought to my, you know, into my eyes, the the way that the system actually works. And it's it's kind of sad, but it's also nice to know that 
people out there are aware of it and they're trying to fix it. Um, so keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. And you know what? I think the beautiful thing about where we are with our society right now, the beautiful, awesome thing is the most effective tool I've used so far has been the court of public opinion. Mm -hmm. I love that we have platforms now that average everyday people can go out and speak their truth. And, um, and I hope one day speak it without being afraid to, I got sued for defamation. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that that, that's going to go very far. Um, but anyway, I, I, I love, I'm thankful that we've got these platforms, um, and that people, people for the most part want, you know, what's right. Um, they're rooting for what's right. And I think for the most part, we're heading in the right direction here. So, um, and we need more female entrepreneurs you know, more people out there hustling and just doing their own thing. Yeah, um, definitely. Yep. All right, kids, that uh, wraps up episode three of B Squared and Friends. Um, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at B Squared Graphics. Website is bsquaredgraphicservices.com. I'll catch all you guys on the next episode. Thanks, Ash. I appreciate it. Thank you, Becky. Talk to you right. soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.